Welcome to episode two of Becoming a Data Scientist podcast. I'm your host, Renee Teet. In this episode, we meet Safia Abdallah, a 19-year-old college student who has been programming for several years already. She contributes to open source projects, co-organizes Pi Lady Chicago chapter, and has a really interesting self-driven journey into data science and some good advice for learning. At the end of the episode, I'll announce the Data Science Learning Club activity too, creating visualizations for exploratory data analysis. Now, let's meet Safia. All right. Hi, Safia. Hey, Renee. Um, so I'll start off with a little bit about myself. I'm a sophomore at Northwestern University. Um, I'm studying computer science right now, and my two sort of concentrations at university um, are artificial intelligence and interfaces. Um, I'm really excited about thinking about how in the future we're going to in- create intelligent experiences for people. Mm-hmm. A lot of the data science work that I do now is educational. So one of the really big projects that I'm working on is a nine-part series um, on data science that's designed to be like a very gentle but practical introduction to data science. And I've been teaching that for the past, I want to say, four months now, and it's been a huge, always fantastic to see people coming in with not a lot of knowledge and walk out with um, kind of tools and techniques that they can apply to a lot of the things they're really interested in. Um, and just on the side, playing with open data sets is something that's consistently like on the back of my mind and, and creating visualizations. And, and that's what I'm up to right now. Okay, great. So I saw in your bio that you started programming when you were 13 and you were teaching yourself. So let's go even yeah. earlier than that. Going back to childhood isn't too far for you <laughs> as opposed to some of my other yeah. interviewees because you're only 19, right? Yes, I'm 19 okay, years old. This is great. So what was going on in your childhood that kind of indicated that, you know, were you really good at math or did you have people around you that were programming? You know, what got you into it before you were 13? So that's a really great question. Um, I wouldn't say I was super genius best at math. I was in the gifted program in high school, so I guess I, or in elementary school. So I guess I was good enough. I don't consider myself one of the best, but I'm probably selling myself short. Um, I got my first computer when I was around seven, eight years old, and I did what most seven and eight-year-olds do on their first computer, which is play a ton of Flash games. Uh Um, And I would say the sort of, pre-story to how I got interested in programming was I was actually really into design before I was into programming. Um, and this is where I'm probably going to get myself in trouble. But I used to not be able to afford Photoshop because Photoshop is expensive, but I really wanted to work with Photoshop. And so my first experience was really seeing the computer not as this thing that you click buttons in or that you play games on. And it's something that you build for was trying to hack Photoshop so that I could get it for free beyond the 30-day trial. Um, I was obviously unsuccessful because I'm not in jail right now. I think people will forgive you as a seven-year-old doing that. (laughs) This was around 10 years old that it was happening. Um, But it was really starting to kind of figure out that there were these things called system files and DLLs and registries and that there was a BIOS. And the, the machine was something that was made um, so were you just you like googling these topics and reading yeah, about you know how other people did it? Yeah, I would be on like ridiculous Russian forums figuring out how to hack, <laughs> hack computers because that's just what I thought people did. I I didn't 
I honestly did not have any role models who were technical to look up to. And so I built my own image of what a hacker would be. And it was just kind of me in my room trying to get Photoshop to go beyond the date trial. Um, so what did you want Photoshop for? Were you going to design images for just, games? Yeah, I was really interested in in just like visual graphic design. Um, a lot of what I did was just take two images that were completely to get um, completely different and kind of create sceneries. And it was it was definitely an artistic endeavor. Um, and I think it's so interesting because I'm I'm much less less of an artist now. And even in kind of like my data career, I'm not too into the visualization side of things. So I completely veered off that path. Um, but but that's like the pre story to the story of how I got into programming. Um, so what was your first programming language? How did you start? So I started off with Python, um, and, and the story of how I got into programming, I think is super funny. I was also really into documentaries right around when I was 12, 13, uh, and I've watched a ton of documentaries. And at one point, I watched this really fantastic documentary series that covered the history of computing. And at that point, I had no idea what that there was like a history to this and, and mm-hmm. sort of talked about. Um, Turing and his work with the Bohm in World War II, cracking German codes. It talked about building the ENIAC for bomb calculations in the 50s and sort of how computing progressed throughout time. And then it sort of finished off um, at sort of the early 2000s. They talked about Google. Um, they talked about the search engine and the novel approach they had, um, which was PageRank. And I was like, hang on, I know what Google is. Like, I've worked with Google before. I've used it. And that's how it works. It's paid rank. And, and that's when I got really excited about about programming. Um, and so I figured I would teach myself a programming language because that's how you tell computers what to do is what I'd learned. Um, and then I picked up Python. It was Learn Python the Hard Way was the book I used because I was trying to be hardcore. Um <laughs> That was my style. Um, And I sort of learned um, Python then, but most of my focus was really on, like, data science and machine learning at that point. So you started with machine Um, learning right away as soon as you started programming. Yeah, so I started off with information retrieval. Um, Information retrieval is sort of the um, field of information science that's associated with organizing and searching and sorting through knowledge. Um, sort of directly associated with the construction of search engines. And so it's like that Google is a search engine. I'm interested in search engines. I will learn about information retrieval was the rationale I had. And so I picked up a book. It's Introduction to Information Retrieval. I can't remember the authors right now, but it's um, out of Stanford's. Okay. And we'll um, link to all these later on the blog post. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I read through the book and I... Googled around, and I think it was the summer between my freshman year of high school and my sophomore year of high school, I spent that summer building a search engine. Um, so I built a crawler. I built a term frequency, index frequency, sort of. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and I, I'm not sure to this point why I never, like, got arrested or caught for any of the stuff I was doing because my crawler <laughs> probably was on some brutal. <laughs> It was just sending requests out. I had it running at some point for three days. It wasn't throttled at all. I'm not sure how I didn't get blocked. I probably did get blocked in some ways. <laughs> but it was, it was really that. It was just I was 
curious and I didn't know things and I'll admit that I didn't know things at the time, but I was so eager to learn and build. Um, and so I tinkered around with my search engine for a bit and then my focus kind of was on language um, and the idea of how you input a query into the search engine. Like, why is Google better at understanding the words that I type into it than my own search engine that I like built in my bedroom? Um, and so I started learning about natural language processing and I read up on that. I was playing around with NLTK a lot, which is a sort of natural language processing library for Python that's aimed for educational uses. Um, and then once I'd kind of gotten sick of the natural language processing, I remember I was on the Wikipedia page for natural language processing and I clicked on the side and there was a link and it was a link to the article on machine learning. And it kind of discussed the fact that NLP was a subset of machine learning and machine learning was a subset of AI and kind of covered how all these things were connected. And, and so my next kind of area of pursuit was machine learning. Um, and I'd say I spent the later part of my sophomore year of high school, um, my junior year of high school, and then senior year of high school, just studying a lot of machine learning. And it was so really... I have to imagine that yes. it was pretty unusual for a high schooler to be going this deep in it. Did your friends know about it? Do you have them trying out your search yes. engine? Or what did people say about all this? So I, this is one of my biggest regrets, um, and, and to this day, is I, for the most part, never shared any of the work I was doing. Mostly because, believe it or not, I thought this was like what average kids who were into computer programming did. Because right. um, there is that like myth of the super genius, and I just thought I was one of them, and that wasn't a big deal. So I never really shared any of the work. Um, some of it I did with my like fellow geeky friends in high school, but it wasn't. I wasn't writing blog posts. I wasn't like making screencasts or anything like that. It was. It was a fairly private endeavor, and that's actually one of one of my biggest regrets. If I could go back to my my high school self, I would like shake her and be like, "Share what you're doing. You know, tell people." Um, and did you have I, classes in high school that? You know, did you take computer science classes there, or was this? Yeah. Um, okay, so what what did they offer? Yeah. So I had I went to an amazing high school. Um, all of my CS professors were really dedicated to bringing computer science to the high school level. Um, and so I had a really fantastic experience. I could take data structures in high school. I could take an introduction to systems class in high school. Um, there was a databases class. So I got like a lot of knowledge that most high school students didn't have access to. And yeah, it, was a, great. it was a great way to supplement some of the stuff I was just learning on my own. Um, no, I really did not share what I was doing with other people. And I think that's so important in this field um, and, and just in engineering in general and software particularly is sharing what you're building is so important. And I'm really dedicated now to doing that and just going out to speak at conferences, writing a blog post, teaching people um, because I didn't do that when I should have been doing it. And I, I kind of regret that now. <laughs> and we're going to get into some of your outreach stuff later. Yeah, but for definitely. now, tell us about what were you doing before college? Did you have any professional work in computer science? And then how did you transition? What was your college search like? And why did you choose Northwestern? Uh, great question. So um, when I was in high school, I was part of the robotics team. Um, I'm from Chicago. And so the robotics team had a really close connection with um, the university. And at one point, we were visiting the neuroscience and robotics lab at Northwestern. And the lab does some really interesting work at the intersection of biology and computer science and robotics. And how we can sort of mimic um, 
traits that we see in nature that animals display um, and use them to solve our own engineering problems as humans. And I was in love with this because biology was definitely one of the things that I was interested in um, growing up, and it was a great way to bridge that. So Northwestern was actually the only university I seriously applied to. The others were sort of half-assed applications. Um, And I mentioned just going into the lab and feeling at home because that was where the things I loved came together and and you find that in so few places but I rarely go to the lab now because my interests have veered um I guess that's just a normal part of of growth is the things you liked a year or two years or three years ago are not the things you like now but other than that I think Northwestern has a fantastic CS program um it's not known for its CS program definitely I think that's what makes me because you get to engage with professors who really do enjoy their craft um and i i just love learning love discovering new things obviously but i haven't made that clear over the past few minutes um so i saw in your um, profile that you have done some professional work so was that before or during college yeah yeah so it was before college so um i sort of started off my career career in in quotation marks because i have a hard time (laughs) phrasing it as that being an engineer-old. When I was 16, it was um, my high school had a technical crew, and we were just responsible for some IT duties, um, dealing with servers here and there. But I think that was super important for my career because it was the first job I had and the first kind of experience I had where I could see that technology was impactful and being able to work with it and fix it and make it better had a huge impact in that case that the way that people would learn in my high school and throughout high school I had a job um, working for a teacher just doing consulting so building websites doing some SEO um, all of that was because I had some knowledge in that in those fields um, and then after high school uh, my first job was sort of between graduating high school and going off to college is working at Bank of America and that was a super awesome experience. It was my first time working in a software team, which is always such a huge leap when you're was someone Was it like a who, summer internship? Yes, it was a summer internship. So mm-hmm. I was very used to kind of working alone, not sharing any of the work I was doing, um, reading on my own. And I was like comfortable with that because at that point to me, software engineering was the interaction between a person and a computer mm-hmm. and that bubble was burst when I realized that (laughs) software engineering is actually an interaction between a person, a computer and 20 other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it was really hard to like get into the fact that you have to work with teams, there's deadlines, there's, you have to rely on other people and trust they'll do their part on time. And you have to trust yourself and provide what you have to do on time. Um, And so that was, that was a pretty intense, crazy experience for me. Um, And since then, I've sort of striven to have some sort of job during the school year that's technically focused and and a summer internship that's technically focused. I just really want to get a lot of experience. And I try to not have my jobs focus on data science too much because I do want to have perspective into other sides of the business. Um, I know data science is essentially what I'm going to do, and I'm going to focus on that towards, you know, the later part of college. But for now, I want to see what the people in DevOps are doing, what the people in web dev are doing, what is customer support like, and 
what is my eventual role as a data scientist in that entire process, um, sort of seeing myself as, as part of that larger teams, because teams are really, programming is not at all about computers, it's just about people, and computers are this thing we put in the middle. Um, and so I really want to develop my strength in dealing with different sides of the business and with different people. And how has your experience been in college in terms of working with teams? Is it a pretty team-oriented computer science program? And how do, you know, do you get along with the other students? And do they see you as you know, a star that started really early? Or <laughs> how, do, how do you fit yeah, in there so, at the school? Yeah, so it's, college is definitely an interesting experience for me because there's not a lot of college students flying out to give talks at conferences or uh-huh. doing podcasts and things like that. So it, it feels weird. I feel like a bit of a stranger at times. Um, and there is definitely that like notion of, oh, Saki is a little bit of a superstar or whatever. And I, I try to kind of deny those accusations as much as possible because I really don't want to be seen as someone who is better somehow because I started earlier or because I do more. Um, I, I think those are really, excuse my language, bullshit qualifiers, Mm -hmm. um, who's considered a superstar in tech, um. How long you've been in the industry is completely irrelevant. How much you care about it and how much you're willing to dedicate yourself to it is all that really matters. And so I try to point people to the fact that I'm a superstar, if you want to call me that, and please don't, because I really care about this and I really love it. And I think it's where the future is headed and it's so important that everyone knows how to code, understands data science, understands how data science is used in the everyday tools and products they use, um, and that's really like my passion and that's why you would call me a superstar. I'm not a superstar because I was building a search engine when I was like 15. Yeah. And I I think that's a common theme and especially among data scientists because in data science, like so much new stuff is coming out all the time. You're always learning and you always have to be studying. And so you find, I think the most passionate people and people willing to help each other and all that within data science field. So I totally agree with you. It's about, you know, the time and effort you put in, and yeah. um, sharing that work. So definitely that's what makes you a superstar. And don't be afraid to call yourself that, even though I know that among college students, it probably gives you kind of a stigma. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so um, has have the courses that they offered at Northwestern been up to par for you? What, what kind of courses have you taken? So this is a really great question. And it's so hard to answer because I'm only my second year of university. And I've sort of had to get through like, excuse my language again, the bullshit requirements you have to take in college. Um, The general education stuff. Yeah, the general education stuff. Um, I am getting to the point where I'm taking a lot of the AI and machine learning focused classes, and it's been amazing. It's super important for me as someone who kind of knew about this stuff, um, being self-taught, to get it reinforced in sort of lecture-style academic setting. Because I think those two are very different. The way you teach yourself and present a topic to yourself and the way that a professor might present it to you and then you apply it are different. And in some ways, one is better than the other for a variety of reasons. But I think getting both has been like the best of both worlds for me. And so in that way, I feel like the classes have been really great at, at like supplementing what I already know. And also, they're pretty challenging. I try to take the classes that I know I haven't had the chance to completely explore yet. I mean, especially when something's applied in a different way, in this case, in a strictly academic setting, it's it's different than sort of 
you know, looking at YouTube videos online and reading code online and finding books and, and things like that. Okay, great. So um, what's the tech scene like in Chicago? And I know you've gotten involved in some meetups and with Pi Ladies and things like that. So tell us about how you've branched out outside the college. Awesome. So that's actually where a big part of my focus is. Um, so I co-organized the Pi Ladies group in Chicago. Pi Ladies, for those of you who don't know, is an international organization. It's backed by the Python Software Foundation. As the goal is to build community around um, female Python developers. So the Chicago chapter actually started fairly recently. We're a little under a year old, but we've been doing a lot of work, obviously. Um, I also work with Chick Tech Chicago. Um, Chick Tech works with high school girls, a um, hundred of them over the course of a year, and we teach them programming, um, hardware, software, everything in between. Um, and so those, that's kind of where my main focus and time and energy have been. The tech scene in Chicago is, I would medium size. It's not your New York City or San Francisco. And that has some benefits and, and some consequences, obviously. The main benefit, I think, is it's so easy to build community. Um, once you have, you know, five people who are interested in the same thing, they're really excited about applying it, about working on projects together, about helping each other out. And I think based on my own experiences being in San Francisco for a summer, that's a little bit harder to find in San Francisco than it is here. The, the consequence, of course, or the drawback is that there's just sometimes not enough people. Um, I remember when I was in San Francisco this summer, I um, did sort of a workshop series with the local Python meetup there, um, just covering data analytics and machine learning. And, and there was a line of people standing outside the door for the building we were meeting at for, the, wow. for this Python meetup. I was like, this would never happen in Chicago. Um and again, there's a consequence to that and a benefit. But I I love the community. I'm a, I'm a fan of the city. I wouldn't like it anywhere else. Um, and that's why I, I do so many th- things for tech in Chicago. Um, so you should definitely come live here, whoever is watching. It's it's an awesome, <laughs> awesome city to live and work. And the tech scene is growing. So it's, a, it's great if you want to be kind of someone who joins the growth and, and helps build something up. Great. So I'm going to pause for a minute and remind everybody that we're talking to Safia Abdallah and I'm Renee Teet, and this is the Becoming a Data Scientist podcast. So Safia, um, since you say you grew up without a lot of tech mentors, how does it feel now to be a mentor to the younger girls? It, it feels a little interesting, um, mostly because I, like I said, the image I had of like who my mentor would be or who my role model would be when I was young was just me like I was my own role model I just wanted to better myself and that's all it really was and so now I have to kind of reposition that and and be the role model for these girls and really my main focus and what I people especially the younger girls is like focus on what you know and the fact that you know it damn well and the fact that no one can tell you otherwise I think um, insecurity and imposter syndrome are really big issues um, especially for women and I it's probably the reason I didn't share any of the work I was doing in high school is I just didn't feel it was it was worthwhile um, and, and I think that's such an important thing to be comfortable with your knowledge and also your lack of knowledge and be willing to kind of fill those gaps is the lesson I try to leave when when mentoring girls and and in a way it's interesting for me because sometimes I'm the mentee in a relationship and this is ongoing obviously but 
I'm fairly young myself. I'm usually three to four years older than most of the girls I, I mentor. Um, so it feels a little weird. I'll be like, in three years, girls, you'll be in my shoes. It's <laughs> very close. Um, but I think it, it, it's great to kind of see people who have the potential to be who I am now at like that kind of stage and make a really big impact on their lives. Um, and I think mentoring is not a thing that a lot of software engineers or data scientists do, especially with younger high school students. But it's super important when we talk about pipelines or a lot of other issues. Sometimes it's just going out to coffee with a kid and listening to what they say because they have the most fantastic dreams and the most fantastic ambitions. And a lot of them have to do with data. It's just no one really takes the time to introduce them to the field. Um, So sitting down with someone is an invaluable experience to them. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a lot of like learn to code pushes now just in terms of, you know, the day of code and things like that. Um, But not many people talk about data. And I think it's important for young people to understand data. Like you've got your cell phone and you're on the internet all the time and social media, and you kind of need to understand what's going on there. And I also think that um, data science is a great field for women. And I think if you've got girls interested early on, they're really going to blossom into that. Like it's a very interactive and social kind of um, programming. And so um, I I recently contacted my local school system just to tell them, hey, I'm available if you want anyone to come talk to the kids about data or data science or databases or programming or anything. Um, And they're super excited to have someone in our field. And so I think that's good to encourage the listeners that anyone out there that has any knowledge about databases and data science, just tell your local school system or any local meetups for uh, young people that, you know, you'll explain it to them and introduce them to data science. And it's, it's really important, I think. And especially with yeah. the growth in the industry, like getting them into it now, there's going to be jobs, you know, for them in a few right. years when they're applying to college and then graduating. So. I agree. And and there's definitely plenty of other places in addition to schools to get involved. I'm, I'm sure we can link to them, but there's no excuse not to and like no reason you can think of. So you should definitely do it. Yeah, definitely. And if you're a listener that's interested in getting into data science, um, you know, check out local meetups, um, like what Sophia was talking about with Pi Ladies. Um, there, there are a lot of meetups just popping up everywhere. I'm, I'm in small town Virginia, and within an hour, there's a few different uh, meetup programs that I can just drive to after work and, and hang out. So it's definitely worth getting involved and in, in finding your place locally um, to get started. Right. Okay, so um, you've spoken at some big conferences. So tell us about that. How did you get involved and what were what was it like speaking at the conferences? Yeah, sure. So I, it, it's really funny because if a year ago you told me I would be speaking at conferences, I would have told you to shut up. That's not true. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, this is like a very interesting question about like getting involved in, in conference talks and public speaking and giving back to the community is, the first CFP is always the hardest to submit. Um, my first conference talk was last May, so May 2015. It was at the first local conference that we had in Chicago around um, data science and web development with Python. And it was held at a local university. I'm not even sure why I decided to submit a proposal now, Um I just know that I had something to share and I wanted to share and then I figured this seems like a good way to let people know that I exist and that I am doing work. Again, that kind of 
like giving yourself a platform and sharing what you do is really important. So what um, did you present on at that first one? I submitted a talk on converting research papers to code. Um, and sort of the notion was that if you are a data scientist, you probably have a tool like Scikit-Learn that has some, some pretty popular machine learning models. Um, to your data set or in your modeling exercises. But, you know, what if you're sort of curious and you like to stray off the beaten path and you find something in a research paper that's really interesting but isn't implemented in a library or a tool? How do you kind of read that research paper and then convert it into code that you can at least use for something? Um, and so that was my talk, and, and, and people loved it. It was not the best talk, um, as in I felt very short, like it was minutes and I presented for 15 because I didn't realize that I talk really fast because I'm from <laughs> Chicago um, and it was great having people come up to me afterwards and ask questions and kind of figure out how to do this and oh your talk was really great um, I had this idea I had that idea and kind of just inspiring thinking and people and, and no ideas was really awesome and I was like this is a generally a pretty like once you, you do it one time, it's really easy. You kind of figure out what techniques and what kind of abstracts get the most um, approvals from certain conferences. You figure out what your speaking style is. Um, you learn some good jokes to tell the audience. And you just it's something you get better at over time. Um, and I love it. I think um, sort of straying away from the conversation a little bit, but there's a fantastic organization um, called Write Speak Code. And a lot of the work they do is around um, getting women who are technical to engage themselves more by writing blog posts, um, kind of speaking at conferences, and then contributing to open source. And sort of I tick off the speaking and coding um, portions of that. And I think it, it's so important to do those things, um, just to like give talks, share with people. It's hard at first, but genuinely to anyone listening it's gets easier every time you submit a proposal um and and the great tip for those of you getting into kind of public speaking especially in the data science world i think it's super important um is you can have a set of like two to three talks that are on a subject matter that you consider yourself an expert in so if you are kind of the like genius of random forests you can have a random forest talk and you can give it at multiple conferences and sometimes people will reach out to you and say can you give your amazing random forests talk at our conference and so it's it's very low effort and you can develop sort of a brand as the random forests expert or or whatever have you um yeah, that's good and advice. that's so great yeah cool so what was your other favorite talk so after your first one since then what's your favorite talk been that you gave so I've had a few. Um, I've done a couple that were just sort of like keynotes at conferences, um, keynotes at conferences aimed at high school girls. So it's not as it's not as cool as it seems. Um, probably the best talk that I've given was at um, a conference in Ottawa, Canada. Um, it's called Beyond the Code, and the talk was sort of. Um, condensing my experiences around teaching and how you can be an empathetic teacher, especially when you're teaching software or data science um, to people and sort of the techniques that you need to know and what you need to be aware of when teaching. And it, unfortunately, it wasn't recorded, so only the slides are up, but it was, um, it was like everything I loved in, in like 45 minutes, and it was awesome. Cool. So what are the key points of that talk? 
Yeah, so the key points of that talk, I would say, are um, empathy, really important when you're teaching coding to people, kind of being aware that someone might be from a different ethnicity, might speak a different language, the analogies and metaphors that you use to explain something might not make any sense to them. Um, I sort of described pair programming as a really useful technique when you're teaching. So just have people come in, limit it to one laptop repair, and as you're teaching, have people work together um, to like go through a problem set. And that's really important because I think there's sort of this notion in, in data science and software engineering in general of like gods or people who are super experts and infallible. Oh my goodness, they're, they're so great at what they do. They could do nothing wrong. And I think that's really a dangerous ideology, the sort of notion of the super genius because um, they don't exist and they don't know everything. And so I think when you sit two people together and have them work on something, they realize, hey, I sucked at this one thing and my partner rocked at it, but now I rock at this thing and they, you know, they're they not so good at it. And that's important is their strengths and weaknesses. And you're not going to know every machine model in the world by heart um, or be an expert at it but you have ones that you grasp particularly well and you have particular particular strengths and and that's something I think our industry needs to like snap out of that notion and and just accept that people are flawed and everyone is it's interesting that you're my second interview and both of you have said very similar things on that and I have the same feeling that you know everybody's learning and if you think you're a god at something you're probably wrong. And if you think yeah. that you suck at something, you're probably wrong that everywhere, yeah. everyone's kind of somewhere in the middle. And, you know, the, the idea is just keep learning and figure out something you're yeah. good at, but you're not going to be good at everything. And um, usually if you think you're great at something, you're going to find something later that you realize, oh, I totally missed that whole aspect. Yeah. Of it. Stay humble. Yeah, stay humble. But still, it's it's a mixture of staying humble and then being, uh, well, I, I had a radio interview on my uh, local radio station, and I was trying to explain to the interviewer who is not a computer person that you have to be both humble and cocky. You have to believe that yeah. you can do it. <laughs> you have to, I could do anything. I could learn it. Yeah. But then realize that, you know, there's still a long way to go no matter where you're at. Yeah, it's, it's tough to balance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, we can start wrapping up here. So I want to ask you about your goals in the next 10 years and then give you a chance to talk about anything that you want to mention that we didn't cover. So first, you know, where do you see yourself when you finish school and where are you going to go? Wow, that's a <laughs> heavy question. Um, so my, I mentioned earlier I was really interested in intelligent experiences and sort of can bring the experience of using Siri or using Google to the real world and in places that we don't often find it. I'm really interested in in using data science to empower small businesses because I think if we figure that out and if we enable the little guy and not the person with, you know, the giant, God knows how much they, that they're not really doing anything with. Um, if we empower that and we show people the impact of data at a lower level, it's just, sometimes it's just going to your local store and seeing that they're using data in an intelligent and meaningful way um, empowers you to then learn about data and use it in an intelligent and meaningful way. You really have to start these things small, um, in my opinion. And so I want to do a lot of of work around data science for small businesses, small organizations. 
I also really want to continue to teach. Um, I'm in, I'm not sure if I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I am teaching a nine-part series on data analytics with PyLadies. And, and the series is really aimed to be um, gentle and practical introduction to data science. So we How start many off. people with, are taking that? So it's capped at 50, um, okay. just because of the venue and how much I can handle right now. Yeah, that's still a pretty big um, group. Yeah. And so it starts off sort of covering data munging, and it's the first lesson is intentionally on data munging and designed to be like a very brutal, not brutal, uh, it's a cruel introduction to the fact that data science is not like, you know, the neural networks you hear about that Google's using or any of that cool stuff. It starts off, you get a really messy data set from a bunch of people and you got to sit for a couple of days or weeks and, and clean it up. Um, I think showing the nitty gritty to people and showing that sometimes it's, it's really fundamental. It starts there. Um, it's super important and sort of starts with data munging, um, covers exploratory data analysis, and then it follows it through. Um, we cover visualization, and then we get into um, modeling on data. And so my goal with that is really to get people who otherwise would not be using data at all. My audience is generally people in the social sciences, people in maths, people who are maybe going to local deaf schools, people who have some experience with data in sort of a scientific setting and a research setting and are looking to augment that. And I think it's super important to get those people knowledgeable and interested. Um, my focus is always on empowering the people who otherwise would not be empowered. Um, so I really want to continue with that throughout college. And there, I always have tons of ideas for workshops I want to teach and series I want to teach. And I think um, I've sort of gotten my teaching style down. Being a college student, I have perspective into what bad teaching looks like. <laughs> um, so I have sort of this unique ability to be a student and a teacher at the same time. And I want to can kind of continue to be that after graduating. That's great. And, and that's really where I see myself now. It's doing what I'm doing now, I guess. Just don't stop being me. <laughs> great. Well, okay. So what are some resources that you use now to keep learning or something that you want to highlight that someone else made? And then how do we find out more about you? You know, what's your website and what kind of things have you made that you want to highlight? Great question. So I want to highlight this fantastic series on YouTube. Um, for those of you who are interested um, in machine learning and sort of sort of the theory and the math behind it, um, a user called Mathematical Monk does this fantastic, um, it's got tons of episodes, um, series just covering machine learning. You cover everything from random forest to Markov models and he's his teaching style is fantastic. It's sort of Khan Academy-esque and I'm sure we can link to it in the corresponding write-up but I go back every day and I watch a video or two of his because they're fantastic and right. I, he doesn't get enough credit but he should or she I'm not sure it's probably a girl um he he does not get enough credit for it because it's 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 great material. Um, I'll, do, I'll have to put that on data side guide. Yeah. I'll link to it yes. there. Yeah, definitely. It's awesome. And then with respect to, to where people can find me on the internet, um, probably Twitter is the best place. I am Captain Sophia on Twitter because I am a Star Trek nerd. Um, I usually tweet about classes that I'm going to be teaching. If I have a new blog post up, I tweet about that. If I'm speaking at a conference, I tweet about that. And sometimes I tweet random talks and, and funny jokes about tech. Um, so that's probably the best place to 
And from my Twitter, you can get a link to my website, which is Sophia.rocks. Rocks is a top-level domain that exists, and I feel like not enough people know that. Um, and there you can sort of view my past talks and, and reach out to me via email and all that jazz. So, yeah. Well, that's an appropriate website because you definitely rock. And thank you so much oh, for being my guest thanks. today. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a whole lot from your interview here. So thank you, Safia. Awesome. And um, I will definitely stay in touch and see you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Renee. So one thing that Safia and I didn't get a chance to talk about is her involvement in Project Jupiter, which was formerly IPython Notebook. She develops Python for them and also contributes to the documentation, and you can see a blog post from her right now on blog.jupiter.org, and that's Jupiter spelled J-U-P-Y-T-E-R. We'll link to that and other things that she referenced in her interview on becomingadatascientist.com. I encourage you to visit her website and see some of the talks she's given, read her latest blog posts, such as the Zen of Safia, about her daily mental, physical, and spiritual routine, and check out her GitHub contributions and the data analytics course she's developing. Again, her website is safia.rocks, that's spelled S-A-F-I-A dot R-O-C-K-S. Okay, now for the Learning Club announcements. I just introduced the Data Science Learning Club a few weeks ago, and within a week we had over 100 registered users on the club message boards. It's incredible. Over 40 data scientists and new data science learners have introduced themselves in the Meet and Greet forum, and several people have shared their resources and results from activities 0 and 1. Definitely read those introductions. People have joined us from all over the world. If you haven't joined in yet, it's never too late to sign up and learn stuff with us. So read the welcome message to learn all about the Data Science Learning Club and how to participate. Activity Zero involves setting up your development environment, and you can check out that forum to see what setups other learners have and what resources they used for reference. Activity One has you find and explore a data set, including generating descriptive statistics. You can find these forums at becomingadatascientist.com slash learning club. Now for activity two. For the next two weeks, we'll be learning about creating visuals for exploratory data analysis. These aren't necessarily publication-style visuals, but things like scatter plots and bar charts that help you as an analyst better understand what the data in your data set looks like and explore possible correlations between different columns. You can continue using the data set you used in activity one, or try another one. I'm working in Python using Anaconda and Jupyter Notebooks, so I'll probably be exploring packages like Seaborn and Bokeh. I'll post my resources and results on the forum. There are other people working with R and other technologies, so if you aren't using Python, don't worry, you're gonna find something that will help you out too. So again, visit becomingadatascientist.com slash learning club to learn more about that and join us. I'll also submit this podcast to iTunes and Pocket Cast this week. It's already available in video form on YouTube, at least the interview part, and in audio on becomingadatascientist.com, or you can subscribe in your favorite podcast app using the RSS feed or on Stitcher. The links to all of these are on becomingadatascientist.com blog. Again, I'm Renee Teat, and I thank you for the positive feedback on this podcast so far, and for listening to this new podcast. It's been an adventure for me. I've already recorded the interview for episode three, which I'm excited to share with you, and I'm lining up the next three interviews already. 
You can get in touch with me by commenting on the blog or on Twitter at BecomingDataSci. This has been Episode 2 of Becoming a Data Scientist Podcast. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that you can find data science books, podcasts, conferences, blogs, and more on my data science learning directory at datasciguide.com. It's a work in progress, but every time you buy an item through the site or rate or review a resource to help other learners find what they need, it really helps me out. So that's datasciguide.com. Thanks.